Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Hi, and welcome to the special edition of All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sree. This week's episode was recorded as a Facebook Live event with Ascension Press last week as we were anticipating the great solemnity of Corpus Christi. You'll hear mention of question and answer with the live audience, as well as you'll probably hear a little different tone in the microphone. That's because it was a Facebook Live event, but you can still enjoy the historical background to this great solemnity of Corpus Christi and the mystery of the Eucharist in sacred scripture. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Edwards Three here for this live event. I want to welcome you all. Thanks for joining us here as we're getting ready for the great solemnity coming up here, the Solemnity of Corpus Christi, uh, where we celebrate the body and blood of our Lord. We're going to get ready to start here in a little bit. I want to let you know what we're going to do today is uh, I'm going to take some questions at the end. So we'll have some time for Q&A. So as questions come up, anytime along, you can put those questions in the com box. And we'll take those questions at the end. You can just text uh, All Things Catholic, all one word. That's the name of the podcast. All Things Catholic. You can text that to 33.777. So that's 33777. And if you text the word All Things Catholic, all one word, to 33777, you'll get the podcast uh, uh, each week. You'll get uh, free show notes that go along with it where I give a little background information, some extra quotes, things to just enrich your spiritual life, to encourage you, to inspire you. And really what I do in the podcast is I cover all things Catholic. That's what we do. We talk about the life of uh, of being a, a disciple, what it means to be a disciple. We talk about the Bible. We get into apologetics. We get into issues in the culture today. We talk about marriage. We talk about virtue. We talk about the saints. So it's really all things Catholic. Again, that's uh, the podcast that I have, if you're not familiar with that, text uh, all the word, all things Catholic to 33777. Again, one word, all things Catholic, 33777. You, you send it there and uh, we, you can get the you can get the episodes each week as well as the, the free show notes that go along with that. Uh, so I'm so excited to get into all of this here today. Uh, why don't we begin? If you're ready here, let's start. Uh, one more time, I'm going to say a quick glory be to get us started. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As the Catholic Church is celebrating the great solemnity of Corpus Christi, it's time to really think about where did this all come from? What is this feast day all about? And what does it mean for our lives? Uh, it's, a, it's such a wonderful thing to have these Eucharistic processions and remember the gift of the Eucharist. But I want to bring you to one of my favorite cities uh, in, in Italy. It's just about a, an hour north of Rome, Orvieto, Italy. If you ever go to Italy, if you ever make a pilgrimage to Rome, may, treat yourself and go to Orvieto. It's spectacular. Uh, and Orvieto, it's a beautiful town that's uh, up on the mountain. And there's this massive cathedral that you can visit. Uh, and just if, if you even don't go into the cathedral, all you do is you go walk around this medieval city and you see the cathedral. It's just spectacular. I'm going to put pictures in the show notes. Uh, but this this cathedral is, again, one of my favorite. Every little detail is you could stare at for, for hours and you'd be there for years of your life contemplating the beautiful art and the theology that this church is trying to tell us. But why is there this magnificent 
cathedral, this Duomo, at the top of this hill in Orvieto, Italy. Why is it there? Well, one of the main reasons is there was a great miracle that took place in the 13th century there, that there was a priest who was doubting. He was uh, struggling with his faith in the Eucharist, and he wanted to go down and get a chance to talk to the Pope and ask the Pope about the Eucharist. And on his journeys and in his doubts, he, he stops and he celebrates Mass just outside of Orvieto. And during the Mass, uh, all of a sudden, as he's holding up the host, drops of blood come falling down from the host. And they land on the cloth that, that's there on top of the altar. We call it the corporal. And, and, and he saw that this was a sign. This was a miracle, a Eucharistic miracle, the blood of Christ coming down. Uh, and, and so that... That corporal has been preserved, and they actually have the blood, and it's preserved inside this Duomo. And every year, they have a spectacular, spectacular procession. Uh, the whole city comes out. Just picture thousands and thousands of people dressed up in medieval garb. If you want to get a sense of what Catholic culture really looks like, if you want to get a sense of medieval Christendom, Go to Orvieto on the Feast of Corpus Christi. I've been able to go there multiple times. Uh, I've taken my kids there once. It's amazing. You, you, you stand outside this cathedral and you're watching this procession of all these people dressed up like medieval nurses, medieval knights, medieval candle makers. Uh, and, and they're all coming out and all different sections of, of the city, the different neighborhoods have their own color, their own emblem, their own flags. And, and and they're all marching out. It's like this hour long thing. And you just keep seeing more and more people coming out. Then you see priests and then bishops and sisters. And it, and it just keeps going and going. And then they process all around the city. And the, at, at the very end of, of this procession, they have the Eucharist leading the way in the Blessed Sacrament, in the Monstrance. And then they have the corporal that, that goes all the way back to the 13th century that contains the actual blood of Christ that fell from the Eucharist. Uh, it's interesting. They even did blood. They, they did some analysis on the on the blood, and it was it was the universal donor blood. <laughs> so, which makes sense. I think that's a nice fitting symbolism uh, for Jesus Christ, who came and shed his blood for all humanity. Uh, but that's a little bit of the history of Corpus Christi. The the Pope, uh, as a result of this miracle, declared this great feast day there in the 13th century. Saint Thomas Aquinas who was residing in Orvieto in, in this period, he ended up writing some of those beautiful hymns that you may know of. You've heard about some of these hymns. Maybe you've sung them uh, like Tantamergo. Uh, and and, and, and it's these beautiful Eucharistic hymns come from this tradition. So that's what the church is remembering here, the gift of the Eucharist. What I'm going to do in today's special episode here is I, I would like us to reflect a bit on the three aspects of the Eucharist. Do you know the three key aspects of the Eucharist? I think many Catholics know about the Eucharist, but what are the three key things? Every Catholic has to know the key aspects of the Eucharist. That's what I want to take a look at today. First of all, real presence. Uh, sadly, studies are showing that more and more Catholics don't believe in the real presence. They're not aware of the real presence. Maybe they were never taught the real presence, but even more even if they've heard about it, they taught about it, they stare at this and go, how could we really believe this? I mean, look, this this is just a piece of bread. It looks like bread. It tastes like bread. It smells like bread. If you tapped it, it would sound whatever bread sounds like, I guess. But, uh, you know, but it has all of the outward sensible appearances of bread and wine. In fact, did you know if you, if you took the Eucharist and you put it in, in a scientific laboratory, you put it under a microscope, 
what is it going to look like? You're not going to see Jesus cells floating around. <laughs> you're, you're not going to see uh, like a divine kidney in there. You know, you're going to see all of the chemical properties of bread and wine. And yet Catholics say this isn't bread and wine. We say it has all the outward appearances of bread and wine, but underneath those outward appearances, the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ is present. And there have been many great Christians who've died for faith. And it wouldn't make any sense. If this is just a piece of bread, we shouldn't be falling on our knees during a Eucharistic procession. We don't need to genuflect when we enter a church before the, the tabernacle. You know, there, there's these great stories, whether it's in New York City when there was a, a church that was burning down and then priests ran back into the church, risking their lives as rafters are falling down. There's fire everywhere. They run in to grab the Eucharist and save it. Like You wouldn't do that for a piece of bread. That, that would be bizarre. Why would you go in for just a piece of bread? You know, I, I, people today might run in to save their computer or save their iPhone. <laughs> They'd run in to save things like that. Their, their favorite pictures, maybe, and you know, heirlooms of the family. But would you go in and grab a loaf of bread? You wouldn't do that. It wouldn't make any sense. And yet these priests risk their lives for the Eucharist. There's a young Chinese girl under under um, the, the communist reign where the, the the, the, the communist government took over a church and there was a guard that was watching and making sure no Christians ever came. But in the middle of the night, she would go and then take a host and then take another and, and the, the remaining hosts that were there. And then eventually one day she was caught and she was killed for belief in the Eucharist. If this is just bread, why would a little girl do that? Martyrs throughout the centuries have died for their belief in the Eucharist. You know, where do we see this in scripture? The idea of the Eucharist, uh, there's many pl- passages to turn to, and I, I'll do another whole episode just on the real presence someday. You know, John six, by the way, would be just one great passage to turn to when Jesus says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood or you will have no life in you. But I, I like to look at it more broadly. I want to share this little insight with you. I've been thinking about this one recently that if you just have a biblical mindset, if you just, the way you look at the world is shaped by the Bible, then the Eucharist just makes sense. <laughs> uh, and I like to bring this out to my Protestant brothers and sisters, you know, who, who love the word of God and scripture, but may have questions about the Eucharist. And I, I point out how in the Bible, there's this, this, uh, this pattern you see over and over again, that when God's people are called to make a sacrifice, you know, they sacrifice an animal or like on Passover, they sacrifice a lamb, then they, they, they don't just sacrifice the animal. They also have to have a communion meal. They have to eat of that animal, eat the lamb that was sacrificed. And then it's the partaking in the meal, the partaking of the lamb that brings solidarity, communion with God. The idea is this, is that as you offer up the animal and sacrifice, it's, it's as if, you know, you're, you're, you're having this, this food, this, this animal that's being sacrificed to God. You're giving it as a gift to God. It's symbolizing a gift of your very self to God. And then you sit down in the presence of God and you eat the animal. It's as if God is present with you sharing that meal. And that's what you see in the Bible, that when people come together and share a meal, that's not just like, hey, they're having some food together. That always symbolizes communion. It symbolizes covenant. It symbolizes right relationship, intimate covenant friendship. When people come together for a meal, it's like they're part of the same family. And so when you see in the Old Testament, someone sacrificing an animal, offering it up to God, and then they eat of that animal, what's it symbolizing? It's symbolizing that I'm eating this meal in God's presence. What I just gave to him, I'm partaking of God has received. And what would that symbolize? 
intimacy with God, fellowship with God, communion. So it wasn't enough to sacrifice the animal. You had to eat of the animal in God's presence. And that's what sealed communion. So if you have that biblical background and you look at what Jesus comes to do for us, Jesus came and he died for our sins. He's the Passover lamb. He's being sacrificed on Calvary for our sins. But St. Paul makes this very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. St. Paul says, For Christ, our Paschal Lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus Christ is the Passover Lamb, sacrificed for our sins. And then you know what he says? He says, that's all you need. We just, we're done. He sacrificed. No, that's not what Paul says. He says, it's not done. Because if you know the biblical pattern, sacrifice alone doesn't seal covenant. It doesn't establish right relationship. What do you always have to have? You can't just have sacrifice of the animal, the lamb. You have to have the communion meal. And it's the communion meal, eating of the lamb, that brings covenant union. That's why St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8, Christ, our Paschal Lamb, has been sacrificed, stage one. Therefore, let's celebrate the feast. You have to have the meal, the great festive meal. And what's the feast for Paul in Corinthians? Just read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. It's the Eucharist. It's the Eucharist. That's what he talks about there. So it all makes sense that you have to eat the lamb. If Jesus is the lamb, then we have to partake of him. You know, that's why, you know, if you look at the ancient Israelites, when they celebrated Passover, it wasn't enough for them to take a lamb and sacrifice it. It wasn't enough to take the lamb, sacrifice it, put the blood on the doorpost. What did they have to do? They had to eat the lamb. If you were an Israelite way back in the time of of the Exodus in Egypt, and you said, I don't like lamb. I don't like the taste of lamb. So I'll just I'll just have a lamb-shaped cookie. <laughs> or I'll just eat some lamb-shaped matzah. What would have happened to you? The angel of death wouldn't have passed over your house. Your firstborn would have died because you have to eat the lamb. That's what God commanded. Sacrifice is always followed by communion meal with the Passover. And it's the communion meal that solidifies covenant and right relationship. So if Jesus is our Passover lamb and he's sacrificed, what do you expect there to be? A communion meal. You have to eat the lamb. And that's the communion meal that brings divine intimacy. We eat of the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That's what the priest tells us, right? Happy are those who are called to the supper of the lamb right before we receive. And so the first aspect we're looking at here, you know, is real presence. I want you to see that one of the reasons why it, it doesn't make any sense to say the Eucharist is just a symbol or just a reminder like that would not fit the mindset of Jesus and the first century Jews that are shaped by God's word. That just wouldn't even make any sense at all. You have to eat the lamb that was sacrificed. He's really present in the Eucharist. Many angles we can go at, but that's just one little insight I wanted to share with you tonight. We already talked about the second aspect of the Eucharist here, this key second aspect, and that's the Eucharist as communion, communion meal. Uh, we've already talked about that. That, that I, I want to think about this because I know, especially in these days, you know, these months, we've been longing to receive the Eucharist. Some of you maybe have been able to receive recently in the last few weeks. There's others of you that may not have been able to, or you're realizing that, you know, maybe I, I, I need to stay at home. I'm going to take the dispensation. I don't want to risk getting sick. Whatever the case may be, I've heard from so many Catholics say things like, I miss the Eucharist. I miss being fed. And, and that's wonderful that there's this longing to receive our Lord. But I want you to see the other aspect of communion. I want you to realize the Eucharist isn't just about you receiving something, you getting something from God. 
And don't get me wrong, you're getting the greatest gift, the gift of his very self, his very body and blood. But there's another aspect. Did you know that God doesn't just want you to receive him? He wants to receive you. That's a beautiful point John Paul II once made, that in the Eucharist, Jesus also receives us. It's a reciprocal, loving communion. That he, Jesus misses you too. He's longing for you. He's longing for you to spend time with him, to draw near to him in the tabernacle. He's longing for you to be able to come back to receive, you know, so that he can receive you and be at one with you in communion. Uh, and again, he, of course, understands if you're not able to, your diocese hasn't opened up yet, or uh, you have a, a health situation or you're caring for someone and you're not able to receive, Jesus totally understands that. But just know that if you miss him, he misses you so, so much more. He's longing for that communion. So let's not forget that aspect as well, that Jesus is really present, but he wants communion. And communion isn't a one-way street. It's not just about Jesus feeding me and, 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 and enriching me. It's also he loves and delights when we give our best to him and we're present to him in those intimate moments after we come back to the pew and we're sitting there with him, we're resting with him. He longs for that intimate time. So if you're able to go back to mass, take that time that time so seriously. Don't go looking around and seeing who showed up today, what they're wearing. You know, no, no, really take time to rest with Jesus. The last thing I want to highlight, which is the third aspect of the Eucharist, is the Eucharist is sacrifice. So real Eucharist is real presence, Eucharist is communion, but Eucharist is sacrifice. Uh, I've often highlighted this point that the, this is the one that most Catholics miss out on. They don't really understand the Eucharist is sacrifice. In fact, Again, when when I heard many people during the months of quarantine say things like, I, you know, I miss the mass. They, what they meant was I miss receiving communion. And I think I think we have to remember, well, we also want to make sure we participate in the sacrifice of the mass. That is so important for us as Catholics. It's not just communion. It's also sacrifice. So what does that mean? I want to break this down and make it really simple here. And, and I've talked about this at other times. I'm going to just go really brief, but I want to make sure you get this very important point. <clears throat> the Eucharist is sacrifice. So the sacrifice of Christ is made present at every Mass. So when we go to Mass, we're not just going to communion. We're going to Calvary. And we're invited by Jesus to unite our lives with him on the cross. And that is a great responsibility. Again, the Eucharist isn't about just what do I get? It's about what do I give? And in uniting my life with the sacrifice of Christ, I, I owe Jesus my entire life, all my works, all my joys, all my sufferings, everything I want to give to him. And I unite myself with him at the sacrifice of the mass. Now, I want to explain this biblically so that you really get a sense of like, what does this really mean? That the sacrifice is made present. What's that all about? Do we see this in scripture? Why don't you make sure you understand it? But I also want to make sure you get the spirituality of sacrifice. Because if you really want to make your life a sacrifice to the Lord, a gift of love, if you want to make your life a total gift of love to Jesus, a total gift of love to your spouse, to your children, to your friends, then really pay attention with what I'm going to say next here. I really, my, my heart's desire is that Catholics really appreciate this gift and understand it better. What is this gift of the sacrifice of the Eucharist? So the Last Supper was a Passover meal. And at the Passover meal, you know, the Jews remember the story of that first Passover in Egypt when they were liberated and they took the lamb, they sacrificed it, as we talked about, right? But they didn't just remember and retell the story and reenact the story. They actually celebrated it as a memorial. And that's the key word, memorial. 
the word memorial means to make present. That's how it's understood in scripture. It's a liturgical memorial. It's not just a remembrance. Like, you know, we might have like a war memorial in Washington, D.C. to remember certain wars at that memorial. You just remember it. For the ancient Jews, for God's inspired word, memorial is so much more than that. It actually means to make present. It means that that the event is made present. So if you go to the World War II Memorial in Washington, it's not like you might you just remember it. You know, you might pray for people and all, but but if you celebrate it, if you if you had the memorial in the biblical sense, the way that Jesus would have understood memorial, you you would be at one with everyone that stormed the beaches of Normandy. You would be at one with everyone that suffered in the midst of World War II. You, it, the past would be made present to you. And that's what the ancient Jews believed, that when they celebrated the Passover meal, it was a liturgical memorial, which was a spiritual event, a, uh, a, a mystical event where Moses is believed to be present to you suddenly. And Joshua and Aaron and all the ancient Israelites that were marching out of Egypt in the Exodus, you became one with them at that foundational event in their history. So I want to make sure you get the mindset of what Jesus was doing at the Last Supper when he says, do this in memorial of me. What does he mean? He's meaning make this present. And what is it that he wants to make present? Listen to these words. I want you, you've heard these words probably thousands of times, but I want you to hear them with the ears of a first century Jew, the way Peter and Paul and Andrew and James would have heard these words. And every Christian ever since, this is my body, this is my blood. A Jew in the first century would have understood that's sacrificial language. You, you always talk about the blood being separated from the body. When you hear Jesus say, this is my body being offered up, that's technical language describing sacrifice, the animal, the lamb being offered up in sacrifice. When Jesus says, this is my blood, which is being poured out for the forgiveness of sins, technical language right out of the temple system describing the blood of the animals being poured out <laughs> over the altar to bring forgiveness. And, and so all this language is about sacrifice, but it's not about some lamb, some animal. What's being offered up and whose blood is being poured out? It's Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm the new Passover lamb. I'm the one whose body is being offered up. And it's my blood who's, uh, that, that's being poured out. And so Jesus is saying that make this sacrifice present. You see, what's key here is that right there on Holy Thursday night, Jesus is offering up his body and blood for us. On Holy Thursday night, he begins Good Friday. The Calvary, the event of Calvary begins in the upper room. Right there at the Last Supper is when Jesus' sacrifice begins. He is will in his heart, in his will, he offers up his body and blood right there at that moment. All that's left is for that interior sacrifice to be carried out exteriorly in his body as he's scourged, beaten, spit at, nailed to a cross. But the sacrifice of Calvary begins at the Last Supper when Jesus offers up his body and blood in his will. And it's there that he says, do this as a memorial of me. Memorial. Make present. Make what present? Make this offering of my body and blood present. So that's what Jesus is, is inviting us to do, is, is when we go to Mass, to realize that at every Mass, his sacrifice on Calvary, the offering of his body and blood is made present to us. And we're called, we have a responsibility. It's our duty. Out of justice, we owe God our entire lives. And so while we might not be able to go to Mass, and we were dispensed from going to Mass, we weren't dispensed from the first and third commandments to worship God 
and to keep holy the Sabbath. We still need to worship God and we still need to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to him. We can do that from our own home spiritually at the great gift every morning. You should just fall on your knees. First thing you do in the morning, don't touch your phone. Get on your knees and pray a morning offering. You, you find, go online, find a morning offering prayer. We'll put one in the show notes maybe. But what I'll say is this, is you could just simply say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my day. I give you all my works, joys, and sufferings. Whatever it is, I unite my life with you. But the greatest place to offer your life as a gift to God, to worship him, is in the mass. Because you're united with Jesus who made the perfect gift of self, the perfect act of sacrificial love. And here's the most beautiful thing, the practical thing. This is the point I'll, I'll leave you with is, and we're going to take questions. So remember, if you got questions, send your questions in on the com box. But the, the, the climactic point I want to make with you is if you desire to grow in sacrificial love, if you want to be more generous, more patient, more kind, if you want to make sacrifices for God, for others, you want to grow in prayer, you want to grow in greater love and service to your spouse and to your children, to your friends, then if you want to grow in sacrificial love, the number one place to go to is the mass. Because that's where sacrificial love himself is made present. And he invites us to unite our lives with him. And then when we receive him in return, then our hearts become ever more changed gradually over time changed our hard hearts are softened and we become more and more like christ and we begin more able to give ourselves more the number one place to go if you want to be transformed in your heart and sacrificial love is the mass and let's never for never never forget that aspect of sacrifice yes real presence amen how beautiful it is in holy communion to receive our lord and to be received by him but let's not forget the sacrifice the mass that's the school of love. That's where we learn how to love, where our hearts are changed the most because they become ever more conformed to the perfect act of love, Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Now, as I've mentioned in this period of uh, COVID-19 and quarantine, it's a wonderful blessing that there's opportunities like this for faith formation. So let's once again thank Ascension for, for all that they've done and offering these and, and many other organizations that have been offering virtual events. I want to let you know now, that's one thing I'm going to be doing over the next year here through the next several months is offering free live events. And uh, what we're going to do is you can just reach out to me on my website, edwards3.com, edwardsri.com. And I'm happy to come visit your Bible study, your men's group, your women's group, your parish, your RCIA group, your adult faith formation group, whatever that is. Uh, and I'll, I'll give a little presentation. And then over Zoom, we can have time for interaction, question and answer. Um, and so I'm going to be starting to offer those. So just email me if you want information about that. Again, you can go to my website, edwards3.com. That's edwardsri.com. And I'm going to have you all put in your questions. Uh, and as you're doing that, also remember, if you want the podcast, uh, if you want to learn more about my podcast, and that's what we're recording here, uh, you can text the word, all things Catholic, just one word, all things Catholic, one word, text that to 33777. That's 33777. Just text the word all things Catholic to 33777, and you can get the, get the episodes each week. All right. So I have some questions that are coming in. First of all, Clarissa, why do our non-Catholic brothers and sisters receive communion only once or twice a month? Well, I would let them answer the question for their own particular reasons. I'll tell you what I, I think. I would say this. If you don't believe in the real presence, you don't believe that the Eucharist is really Jesus, that he's really present, his very body, blood, soul, and divinity, 
if you think it's just a symbol or a reminder, a very sacred reminder, but if you don't really believe that that is no longer bread, it just has the appearances of bread, but that is really Jesus. That changes, you know, that changes everything, right? Again, I, I, if if that's really Jesus, then I want to go and receive him as often as I can, which is why the Catholics, we, we do it every week. And, uh, and many of us may go even during the week as well, daily communion. If that's really Jesus, then I want to do all I can to stop by and say hi to him. I mean, just imagine this. If I told you, hey, guys, guess what? This is amazing. The Pope is coming to your town and he he wants to meet you. I think most of us would like just drop everything. We'd find some schedule, you know, a way to make it work out, right? We would drop everything to go have a, a, a private meeting with the Pope. Can I just tell you that Jesus wants a private meeting with you? He's there in your tabernacle, in your churches. And again, I, I understand in this period here, you may not be able to go various reasons. And he understands that totally. But in normal times, he's waiting and he's wondering, will you take time to go there? And And if we really believe that that's Jesus, we, drop, we should drop everything to go. Now, if you're a Catholic that doesn't really believe in the Eucharist, you're not convinced of the Eucharist, or you're of a Protestant background that doesn't believe in the Eucharist, then why would I want to just go and hang out with a piece of bread? <laughs> you know, And why, what, why is there an urgency to go spend time uh, and receive him each week? So I would say, again, I would let the, 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 the particular congregations all have their different reasons for why they would go at certain whatever time periods. Some people only do it like once or twice a year, some once a month. You mentioned every other week. So every congregation is a little bit different, but i that's what I would say looking at it from the outside uh, from a Catholic theological perspective. So thank you, Clarissa, for that question. Okay, we have another question here. Is it better to receive communion on the tongue or is receiving in the hand just the same? Uh, great great question here. And I'm, I'm going to just say on this one, there's, there's two things. I want to make sure we strike a really good balance here. There's what the church allows, and then you can ask the question, like, what is actually, what might be more reverent, what might be best? The church allows to receive either on the tongue or in the hand. Now, in this time of COVID-19, extraordinary circumstances, I'm not going to get into that because I know that there have been many dioceses around the world that have said, you can only receive in the hand right now. Uh, that being said, I, I would want to highlight that there is a reverence in not receiving in the hand. There's also some risks in receiving in the hand. And I had this this week because in, in our diocese in Denver, I prefer to receive on the tongue. I always have. Uh, but I, because the diocese is asking, I'm going to be obedient son. I'm going to do it the way that they want right now. But I remember I, I, there's, I had received on the hand and there's like a little tiny white dot there. That little white dot is not a, a, a tiny little fragment of just some bread. That's Jesus. And I, had, I wanted to be so careful. And I remember like making sure I didn't drop that little dot. Uh, and, and if we are going to receive in the hand, please receive with tremendous care. The slightest little fragment that falls on the floor will be trampled over like Jesus was trampled over on Good Friday. We, we don't want that. So let's just be really careful with this. If we go reverently, the church allows that and that's fine. But I think that there'd be many people that would say maybe more reverent to receive uh, on the tongue. But I, I, I want to be clear, the church allows to receive on the hand. And um, in, in the early church, there even was this expression like, you know, make your hand a throne to receive communion. And, you know, if you're coming with that real big disposition, I think Jesus cares most about what's happening in the heart. You can do all you can receive in the tongue, but your heart isn't really present. And the person receiving in the hand you know, it, it, is it as reverent? Some people can question that objectively, but maybe their, their heart is actually more receptive to what they're receiving. Uh, that's what's most important. 
Uh, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. There's a lot of questions and, and uh, debates about that. Happy to answer more maybe online if you want to reach me on my website. Nicole, what are the two words used to describe the Eucharist? I was trying to think of it the other night. Uh, the, the two words to describe the Eucharist. I'm not sure what she means by that. I mean, there's the Eucharist. We can call it the Lord's Supper. In scripture, it's also referred, alluded to with the expression, the breaking of the bread. Uh, so Lord's Supper, breaking of the bread, the heavenly banquet, the, the supper of the lamb, the wedding supper of the lamb. These are all different biblical expressions describing the same reality. There. So I'm not sure the exact two words you were particularly thinking of, but I'll, I'll just share as many different expressions for this great gift of the Eucharist. Okay, Xenia, Dutch tree, is there a difference when we receive both the blood and the bread? as opposed to just receiving the bread. Ah, well, first of all, uh, by the way, she did put in parentheses, you know, the, the blood and the body, you know, uh, so, or, so she's very clear that this is the Eucharist. Uh, is there a difference when you receive only the host, the Eucharistic host, or when you receive under both species, just the host and the and from the cup as well? Uh, and, you know, on this one, again, I, I think theologically, we know that if I receive either form, I'm receiving the entire body, blood, soul, and divinity. So it's not like you only get the body and the and when you receive the host, and you're only getting the blood of Christ when you receive from the cup. Nope. Body, blood, soul, and divinity is is present in both. There's a certain fittingness to the sign of seeing bread or seeing the Eucharistic host and drinking from the cup because it symbolizes bread and wine, uh, bringing to mind that biblical theme. But you receive both every time you receive just one. Okay, can a person take the Eucharist more than once per day? Yes, but under certain circumstances. So the church doesn't want you going church hopping. They're worried about some people like hopping around from distant churches and just receiving over and over and over again. Uh, so if you go to a mass in the morning, say at your local parish, and then you find out that your bishop is doing a special mass later that day, you know, maybe to pray for peace in the United States, and you want to go to that mass, you can receive if you go to the the whole of that second mass. If you you can't just show up for communion for that second mass. You can't just show up late for that second mass. Because again, they don't want you just like hopping around just going to receive communion. Uh, so for the second mass of your day, this is my understanding from canon law. If something's changed in the last 20 years and I'm not aware of my apologies. I defer to the canon lawyers on this one. But when I was studying it back, I remember that 20 years ago that that was the key, that you had to be present for the whole of the second mass if you if you went. Uh, okay. Accident and substance. Uh, okay. So this is a question here. I think what that's a reference to is when I was, I didn't use the technical words, but thank you for whoever asked that, 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 that's the, that's the technical language of the church. When I was describing the outward appearances of bread and wine, uh, as opposed to underneath the appearances, I'm referring to what the church is using philosophical language here is the accidents referring to the outward appearance. It's a philosophical term. Good to know. You're not aware of it. More important is you understand the reality that it, the outward appearance still looks like bread and wine, but underneath all those appearances, Jesus is really present. You can't find it under a microscope. You're not going to be able to like do blood tests on this and find Jesus's blood. It's not like that. It has all the chemical properties of bread and wine, all the sensible appearance of bread and wine. That's the accidents, but the substance, and we don't mean that in the chemical sense. When the Catholics say the substance has changed from bread to the body of Christ, we don't, we're not talking about substance the way modern people use the word substance describing you know, in chemistry. We mean it in a philosophical sense, meaning the, the reality uh, underneath the outward appearance. So, 
Okay, Jack has a question. Dr. Stray, how come our transformation is so slow in spite of the fact that we're receiving our Lord in the Holy Eucharist? Oh, great question, Jack. <laughs> uh, I, I ask the same thing about myself all the time. So one thing I, I would say is, first of all, uh, one of my favorite spiritual writers, Father Jacques Philippe, makes this beautiful point that sometimes we're wondering, why is it that I'm not growing spiritually when I receive communion so often? It could be because I don't have a daily prayer life. And what Jacques Philippe meant by that is that you know our prayer life isn't just about saying prayers, going to Mass and saying rosaries, Divine Mercy Chaplets, but do I take time each day, like a half hour each day, for just quiet time of intimate conversation with the Lord? And that's the first place he would turn to, saying, if you know, you can receive the Eucharist all the time and you're getting real graces objectively, you're receiving the incredible graces of Jesus' very body and blood, but those real graces may not be meeting the fertile soil of a deep interior life. If I'm not living deeply, the quiet time with prayer, intimate conversation with the Lord, doing meditation, Lexio Divina, like about a half hour a day, if I'm not doing that, that's the first place I would turn to go, well, that's probably why the Eucharist isn't, it's not that it's not bearing fruit, it's just not bearing as much fruit as it could. Uh, because the, the gift of Jesus' very body and blood has to meet a soul that has quiet, that listens, that is in an intimate conversation with the Lord Jesus. And then we will notice more uh, of him transforming us. So that's the first place that I would go. And even for the great saints, it's not as if they became saints overnight. It was oftentimes many years, decades, a lifetime of gradual transformation. So you could be praying and having a deep interior life, not just saying prayers and devotions, but you could be doing quiet, holy hours, intimate conversation with the Lord every day and still struggle, lose your temper, have impure thoughts and you, know, you struggle still. Um, but, but I think you're going to see much more progress if you do have a daily prayer life as opposed to not having a deep prayer life. Okay, great question there. Um, how can I be holy if I don't go to daily mass? Um, you know, the holiness isn't dependent purely on just, you know, did I go to daily mass? Obviously, if you're able to go, it, it does help a lot. But there's also been great saints. You know, I think of like the many people in Japan that did not have mass for many, many years <laughs> and how they kept focused on the Lord as much as they could, reading the word of God and praying. It, it, and and then when priests showed up, they were so thankful for being able to receive the Eucharist when they could. Uh, and so, yes, the Eucharist, of course, it's better to receive, better receive more often than not. But at the same time, like even now, even with the situation of COVID, we have to say that you know, I maybe didn't wasn't able to receive for two months. Is that did that kill my spiritual life? No, God's present in whatever situation unfolds. Uh, and you think about martyrs that maybe weren't able to receive the Eucharist while they were in prison for many months and many years, and then were killed, and they became great saints. They weren't able to receive the Eucharist, but they were very holy. Uh, and so, yes, the Eucharist does strengthen us and will make it better, but no matter what happens in life and in God's providence, whatever God allows to happen in your life, and it might be a situation you can't get to Mass because of COVID, or you can't get to daily Mass because of your work schedule or responsibilities at home with little children, whatever it might be, whatever God puts in front of you, that's where you're called to holiness, right there in that situation. I remember when I'm, by the way, I'll just uh, just remind you again, you can put questions in the comment box if you have any questions, but I remember when I first moved to Denver, well, many years ago now, uh, we just moved, we're unpacking, we're starting a new job, and we just had a baby, and it was just like all stressful, and I used to live 
three blocks from a church. And now I, I live farther away from a church. It just wasn't as easy to get. And the mass time was in the middle of the day. And it didn't work with my work schedule. And I couldn't get the daily mass like I wanted to, like I used to. I remember in those, in those, that season of life, my spiritual director, I, I was lamenting saying, I just, I'm not able to, to go to the blessed sacrament like I'd like. I'm not able to get to mass like I'd like. And I remember my spiritual director saying, but Ted, when you're holding that baby at 530 in the morning, so your wife can sleep, that's your holy hour. And this is what God has provided for you in your life right now. He's allowed this difficult circumstance and you have to find God right there. And, but it's not, don't think of it as like anything bad. See that this is where, this is where God wants to meet you right now. And, you know, and pray for the time. That's another thing to do is pray. I pray that I can get to daily mass. I pray that I can receive you more. Uh, like if you just express that to Jesus, that's a beautiful thing. You know, it's like when we, when I'm like, well, I, I can't go and I don't really care. That's a problem. But if I, if I tell the Lord, Lord, I wish I could receive you more, do spiritual communions. That's what the spiritual communion practice is all about, increasing that desire for the Lord. Okay. Um, how can we explain the real presence to little children? I'll tell you what I, I've always just done this. I explained that that's really Jesus, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll maybe, I, I don't explain it that much differently than I just did here, even with all of you adults, uh, maybe a little more, you know, a little slower, but I explained you know, that the bread really changes. And I'll tell you, little kids are much more open to this, <laughs> you know, uh, they're like, oh, you know, they, they're willing to go with it. And, and I think most of all, it's more than teaching about it, like giving an oral lesson or have them read about it. More important, I think, is the practice, is bringing them to the Eucharist, teaching them to genuflect when they come in to the church. And they're not just doing like a knee somewhere. They're no, no, we're looking over at the tabernacle by that red candle. That's where Jesus is. You know, and then teaching them that like, this is what mommy and dad are doing. We're receiving Jesus. One day you'll be able to receive. And then we pray after mass together as a family and be able to pray, pray that you desire, that you hope to receive him one day. And then bringing them to Eucharistic adoration or bringing them into a chapel. It's the lived experience of, of the child kind of just having a sense of the reverence and the holy presence of God. That's what's most important. Uh, that was meant in my life. I can tell you that. I went to a great Catholic school. Uh, as a kid growing up in junior high. And I don't remember anything about what they taught us about the Eucharist. I can't remember a single class. I'm sure they talked about transubstantiation and things like that. I just don't remember it. But I still have profound memories of the priest having the monstrance and all the whole school is gathered for Eucharistic adoration. He's going like this and there's smoke and there's bells and everyone's bowing. I, I I couldn't explain transubstantiation like I you know the the change of the bread and wine to the Eucharist like I do now, but I knew God is there, <laughs> and, and that left much more of an impression than any instruction I received. I, I couldn't explain it to others, but I have a profound sense that God is there, and this is serious time, and you want to spend time talking to God at this moment. If you can instill that in little children, more than being able to memorize the the catechism answers, give them a lived experience encountering Jesus in the liturgy in the Eucharist. I think that's most important. Okay, I'm going to do one last question here. Uh, and once again, if you want to uh, receive the show notes, go triple all things Catholic to three three triple seven, all one word, all things Catholic. You can receive the episodes each week of my All Things Catholic podcast, uh, and you can also get the free show notes. So just uh, text all things Catholic to. Three three triple seven, and uh, also again, if you wanted, if, if you want me to come visit your Bible study or your men's or women's group or your parish, 
uh, reach out to me on my website and I would be happy to do a virtual event with your small group tailored just for you uh, to do a little teaching and then get a chance to interact and answer questions like we're doing now. Uh, but we'll be able to do it more. We'll be able to see each other over Zoom. Uh, you can find me on my website, edwardsri.com. That's edwardsri.com. So last question here as we wrap things up. Do you recommend people should have a spiritual director to help them develop their interior life? Uh, I would say, yeah, it's really helpful. You know, you got to find a good spiritual director. I think it's more important to have a good one than just to get one. Um, Because, you know, if you're trying to get a guide that's going to lead you through a city, you know, and you want to get a guide to lead you through Rome, for example, you want someone that knows what they're doing. You can get a guide that leads you through Rome on a pilgrimage, but they're not Catholic. They're just some Italian secular person that doesn't really believe in the Pope or believe in the Eucharist, believe in Mary. And they might take you to St. Peter's. When I do pilgrimages to Rome, I hear these tour guides. And I hear what they say. Sometimes it's negative where they're criticizing the Catholic Church and the Pope or whatever. Sometimes they're not intending to be negative. It's just very superficial. Like, and, and, and then people miss out. And this often happens when I'm doing, I'm, I'm a tour guide in, 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 you know, a pilgrimage guide in Rome and, uh, and, and they'll heal me and I'm going, okay, this is why the St. Peter's designed this way. And this is why there's this many pillars. And that's what this symbolizes here. And this saint once came to this very spot. And this happened here when Charlemagne crowned the Pope. And, and, and like other people from other tour guides, will, other groups will come over to our group and just start listening because I'm giving a lot more. Uh, and I'd say there's an analogy there, right? If you have a spiritual director that's just, they don't believe in the Catholic faith. Well, like there, you know, there, there might be a priest or a sister, but they don't have deep conviction. They're not going to guide you well. They're going to lead you astray. Or maybe they don't intend to, but you can tell they themselves maybe don't have a deep interior life. Uh, They might not be a good coach, a good guide. Maybe they really do have a good interior life, but they're not good at guiding people well. So you want to pray. It's hard to find a good spiritual director, but pray for it. The mere fact that you tell Jesus your desires, again, is such a good thing. Pray that you find a good spiritual director if you can. Uh, Because I'll tell you this, my experience with different confessors and spiritual directors I've had over the years is I, I can't navigate my spiritual life all on my own. I need to be regularly talking to someone on the outside who gets to know me, that knows the spiritual life well, and can help push me, challenge me maybe in ways I don't want to be challenged. I I need that. I know I need that. Because if I'm just all on my own, I'll read the spiritual books I want to read. (laughs) And I'll do the fun spiritual Catholic things I like to do, but I won't be pushed and challenged to grow in virtue to grow in sacrificial love, to grow in, in commitment to Jesus and commitment to serve others as much. I'll, I'll, I'll build a spirituality that's very interesting and comfortable for me. But I know I, I need to grow. And that's why I need someone outside kicking me and pushing me and challenging me in a kind, gentle, inspiring way, of course. Um, so, well, this has been so fun. I want to thank you all for being with us here. Uh, this is the All Things Catholic podcast, and we've been recording live here on a Facebook Live, and it's been so fun to interact with many of you from all over the United States and different parts of the world. Thanks for joining us. Again, you can always reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and you can always contact me on my website, edwards3.com. That's edwardsri.com. And let's give a big round of applause to Ascension Press thanking them for all that they do for faith formation and providing these wonderful events. We're very grateful to, to them. And let's close with a glory be together here. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks so much, and may God bless you all. <laughs>